You are listening to the Tom Eliff Podcast. Tom Eliff pastored for 42 years and was also the president of the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the founder of Living Word Publications. Now, here is Tom Eliff. Genesis chapter 2, in just a few moments we're going to stand together. And I'm going to ask you to read aloud with me, beginning with the 18th verse. I had not intended to begin this series of messages this morning. Early on in this time of sabbatical, the Lord laid this series of messages on my heart and really uh, uh, specifically impressed me that I needed to begin this series when I came back on this morning. And uh, I must confess to you that I had something of an argument with him because the, the title of the series of 10 messages which I'll be preaching over these next 10 weeks on Sunday morning is pulling together. And it has to do with developing and maintaining harmony in your home. And generally, as you know, when I preach a series on the home, I preach it immediately following the holiday season, Christmas and New Year's, because it's those dog days of January when people really seem to have the most problems with their home. They've eaten too much and they've spent too much and they're in hock up their ears and all the things they did to try to bring their home together during the holidays didn't work. And so I have discovered that we save ourselves a lot of counseling in the offices by doing a little counseling from the pulpit. And so generally, that's when I have preached a series of messages on the home. So I had a little argument with the Lord about uh, this whole series. But as the horror has unfolded and the shame and the reproach as the leader of this nation a nation which was founded on Judeo-Christian principles, a nation which was founded because people wanted to see the Bible at work in their lives and in their homes. As the horror has unfolded over these last few days, as our president has admitted to things which I could not speak of, in this pulpit. And notice I use the word admit and not the word confess. To confess means that you say what God says about your sin. And confession is proactive. It is coming with a broken heart, taking the initiative, and saying what God says about sin. But we've not seen that. We've seen admission. And admission says, I've known the truth all along, and I regret that I got caught. And this is in the highest office of this land. And around this world, people are laughing. We have gone from being the great nation in the world which espoused the great principles of the world to the time when that smutty kind of literature which in such an unseemly fashion we have pandered on other nations that has filtered into the hearts and minds of people throughout this country, including our president and the home is under attack. I would encourage you, and I say this just as a pastor, I would encourage you not to spend too much time watching television about what's going on in the Monica Lewinsky situation. In the first place, watching it is not going to change anything. In the second place, garbage in, garbage out. 
you will become what you think about. And it doesn't make it any more correct for you to entertain and think and let your imagination run. It doesn't do any more good for you to do that because he's the president than if it was a soap opera. I would encourage you to walk circumspectly and let your eyes look straight forward and let your hear ears hear things which are righteous and holy and true and pure and good. But what a horror, a day of shame and infamy in this nation. And so as this began to unfold, it became increasingly obvious to me why I need to preach this series of messages. As I said, the series is entitled Pulling Together, How to Develop and Maintain Harmony in the Home. And this morning I want to speak on this subject, your part in the partnership. Now I know that marriage is more than a partnership, but it is a partnership as well. And so this morning we're going to be looking at your part in the partnership. Many times people say, you know, if my husband or if my wife would just do the following, we could have a happy home. Well, forget about them for just a moment and think about your part. What, is, what are you supposed to do regardless of what anybody else does in your home? What is your part in the partnership? And will you stand with me? And let's read aloud together, beginning with verse 18 of Genesis chapter 2. And I think the people of God, when they read the Word of God, ought to read it so that... Uh, uh, it's obvious that we respect it as the Word of God and that our hearts are in it. And so let's read it aloud together, shall we? Beginning with verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle, and to the fowl of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found and help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Father, I pray, believing, that you are mighty in this place this morning. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that what you are telling us through your word, down through the ages, as your Holy Spirit now this morning freshly interprets it to our lives in our situations, I pray it would transform our lives radically, dear Lord. I pray that we would see our part in the partnership. I pray, Heavenly Father, that we would uh, cease excusing what we do that is detrimental to our families on the basis of what other people have done, either to us or in our presence or that we've heard about them doing. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that somehow you would make the heart of every one of us alive to your word. And then at invitation time, Lord, I pray that you'd find us responding in the affirmative to what you're saying to our hearts and I pray it in Jesus' wonderful and matchless name. 
Amen. Thank you. Be seated, please. If you will, keep your Bible open to Genesis chapter 2. And in just a few moments, we're going to be looking at these verses once again. Your part in the partnership. Your part in the partnership. It is incredible to me how often we excuse the things that we do that are detrimental to our homes, to our marriage relationships, to our children, to our husband or wife. We excuse them on this basis. Well, I wouldn't have done that, but here's what he did. Here's what she did. Here's what they did. Or after all, if it can happen in the first family, certainly it can happen in our family. Or if he doesn't think it's very serious, well, then I shouldn't think that it's very serious. We so often excuse what's happening on the basis of what others have done to us or done in our presence. But dear friend, let me tell you something. There is absolutely no excuse for your not doing, for me not doing my part, you not doing your part in the partnership called marriage. Now, I realize that not everyone here is married. Some here this morning have suffered the horrors and the heartache and the laceration of divorce. Well, you just hold on. God has a word for you this morning. I believe it'll be a healing word, an encouraging word. Some of you have yet to be married. Some of you this morning, are, you have been married and your mate has gone home to heaven to be with the Lord. And so you're single and, and you're saying, Brother Tom, it's not my intention to get married again. Is there something here for me? Absolutely. There's something here for you as well. And so let's, with our Bibles open, consider your part in the partnership. And I want to suggest to you several things that you are to be or that you are to do, and these can be found explicitly in this Scripture. I mean, they're very clear. You cannot, uh, you cannot miss these if you read this Scripture carefully. And so let's look at it. First of all, you are to be your mate, and I, I know I could say your husband or your wife, but that's a little... Uh, pedantic and uh, a little lengthy. So let me just use the word mate. You are to be your mate's most trusted companion. My, doesn't that speak to us in this generation? There ought to be no one else in this entire world in whose heart your mate rests or trust than you. I think it's wonderful when you read about the virtuous woman, for instance, in uh, Proverbs 31. It says of her that her husband's heart does safely trust in her so that he has no need of spoil. He didn't need to go out and try to do things to impress her because he trusts in her. His heart rests in her. And your mate's heart ought to absolutely rest in you. You are to be your mate's most trustworthy companion in life. Look with me at verse 18. And there we read that the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I'll make a help suitable for him. By the way, do you know the Hebrew word for alone is bad? I mean, that's the word, bad. And uh, many of you will say, yes, I can, I can tell you about how bad it is to be alone. And so he said, it's not good that a man should be alone. The word literally means separate or apart from, divided from any kind of companionship. And God said, that's not good. And so he says, I'm going to make a companion for him who is suitable. And I want you to notice how he made that companion. First of all, God formed these beasts. 
Out of the ground, we read in verse 19, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every fowl of the air. He brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. Whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. Adam was not some Neanderthal, some caveman. Here is a brilliant man. Here's a person who is a, a zoologist and a botanist and a biologist. I mean, this is an incredible guy. And he's naming these animals. And so we read in verse 20 that Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the fowl of the air, to every beast of the field. But notice this, out of all that, Adam discovered there wasn't anybody there for him. He says, for Adam there was not found a help suitable for him. You see, what God has done is he has raised in Adam's heart a sense of loneliness, a need for companionship. And by the way, one of the ways that you know God is preparing you for marriage is when God begins to develop within your heart this sense that you are not absolutely complete, a sense of a need for companionship. And so Adam looked at all these animals. He said, no, there's nothing there. Now, let me ask you this question. Are you your mate's most trusted companion? You know, I, I worry sometimes about um, men, for instance, who say, well, I just, I just can't tell my wife these things. Or men who say, you know, if I really want to have a good time, I get together with the other guys. Or about ladies who say, well, you know, my husband, he lives in the house, he brings home the bacon, he does all this kind of stuff, but... But I have a really close friend who's, who's my, I mean, this, this, this lady or this group of ladies, are my, these are my real friends. And when I want to pour out my heart, they really understand. You say, is there anything wrong with that? Well, maybe not, but let me tell you something. There ought to be no one that you're more willing to pour your heart out to than your mate. There ought to be no one in this world who will safely keep and treasure what you share with them than your mate. Let, let me give you some questions which you ought to ask of yourself which will help you determine this morning whether you are your mate's most trusted companion. Let me, let me just give you a list of them. Maybe you want to write them down. Question number one, do I know the issues of greatest concern to my mate? Do you really know what's on your mate's heart? Do you really know what... Sometimes... Um, I'm amazed when I think Jeannie knows, you know, I think she, she uh, has a specific need, and I think I know what that need is, and, and uh, I'll go try to take care of it. She said, well, that, that, you know, that, that wasn't it. What, you know, it, it, it wouldn't have cost you anything if you had just asked me. Um, uh, here, here's what's really on my heart. Here's what's a burden on my heart. Let me ask you, sitting here this morning, if you're married, do you know the issue of greatest concern to your mate? the thing that is really troubling them, the thing that is really a prayer need on their life. Question number two, do you take those issues seriously? Many times a, a partner will share the need on his heart or the need on her heart only to have a husband laugh it off and say, ah, oh, that's nothing. Oh, forget it. Oh, you'll get over that. Don't, don't, don't worry about that. That's nothing. Or for a husband to share, you know, something's going on at work and, and his wife to say, oh, listen, that, that's, no, that's no big deal. Just, just forget it. Do you really take seriously what's on the heart of your mate? Question number three, do you listen to your mate? I didn't say, did, do you hear your mate? 
You know, you can hear somebody talking without listening to them, right? I mean, people do that all the time. Do you listen? Do you actually sit down and make an effort to listen to the heart of your mate? Do you listen to your mate? Question number four, do you keep confidences? Do you really keep confidences? I mean, when your mate comes to you and pours out her heart or pours out his heart, do you really keep that? Do you really treasure that? I'll tell you, it's become popular among people these days to talk about stuff that, that, that doesn't need to be talked about. I mean, some, it can happen in any kind of a group, and sometimes even in Christian groups, and they get to dabbling in things that, that are private, things that are nobody's business but theirs. And they get to talking about this and talking about that and say, well, my husband does it, well, my wife does it, or when we got married, we agreed to do this, or, or here's what we do, or here's the way we do that. Hey, listen, nobody's business. Nobody's business. There is ground that is holy. There is ground that is meant to be kept confident. You, don't, you, you see, we live in this age where, you know, just let everything hang out. Just tell everybody everything and have no secrets to the world. You ought to have secrets with your mate. And you ought to keep confidences. There ought to be things going on in the heart of your wife, the heart of your husband that only you know about and you would never tell. Question number five, do you avoid hurtful humor at your mate's expense? Do you avoid hurtful humor at your mate's expense? Uh, men and women are both responsible for this. You know, just saying things, just poking fun, just publicly mocking or, or uh, waiting to that moment, you know, when everything seems to, be, uh, you know, sort of get a little bit dead at the party and then saying something that embarrasses his wife or embarrasses her husband. Well, he doesn't know a thing in the world about this. Well, she couldn't do that if you, you know... Do you avoid hurtful humor at your mate's expense? Question number six. Is it obvious that you find total satisfaction in your mate? I don't mean obvious to you. Come on, say, yeah, 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 you're all, hey, listen, you're everything. Oh, honey, yeah, you, you're, you're everything. No, no, is it obvious not only to you, to your mate, and we're going to deal with that in just a few moments. And when we have our men's ministry, uh, Saturday morning breakfast is beginning at the end of September. The very first one is, how can I win now in the arena of moral temptation, moral purity? But it's obvious to your mate that you find total satisfaction in her or in him. I remember a lady one time saying, about her husband, she says, my husband sits there in front of TV and he watches TV and he thinks I'm sitting there watching TV, but really I'm watching him watch TV. I'm watching what it is on TV that he wants to watch. And it's obvious to me that he doesn't think that I'm everything he needs. Question number seven. Have I allowed my mate to really know me? Hey, it's time to quit playing games when you get married. It's time to quit pretending. It's trying to quit acting like Mr. Big or Miss Wonderful. It's time for your mate to really know who you are, what makes you tick, to walk around in every area of your life. You know what? If I'm not mistaken, there are people here and you wonder why things are not the way they ought to be in your marriage and the truth of the matter is, 
What has happened is this. You have something in your heart you have not shared with your mate, and you built a little wall around that, and the closer your mate gets to that, the higher the wall gets, and pretty soon it becomes obvious to your mate that, that there's something in you that they can't touch. There's something in you going on in you that they can't reach. They can't seem to grasp it. There's a secret part of you, and they're, they're, there's something there, and you ju they just don't know what it is, and they see that you get defensive about it. And so they know, you know, I don't really know my mate. I know a lot of things about her, a lot of things about him, but there's some part of him I do not know, some part of her I do not know. Question number eight, are you your mate's most trusted companion? If your mate had to call on one person in all of this world that they believe would care and listen and hear and get something done about it, would it be you? Or would they feel to go off, need to go off someplace else and get some, some help from someplace else because you're not going to do anything about it? Are you your mate's most trusted companion? Question number nine. Let me just stop right here. Do you have a spiritual relationship with your mate? Do you have a spiritual relationship with your mate? In other words, are, are there things going on that are more than just a physical issue? and more than just an intellectual issue, but do you and your mate have a spiritual relationship conversing about the things of God and the work of God? Do you have a spiritual relationship? Now, all of that to say, let me just stop that right there. All of that to say that the first thing you are to contribute, you say, well, I wish my mate would do that. No, whether your mate ever contributes that or not, your part in the partnership is to be your mate's most trusted companion in life. All right, let's look at the second issue quickly. You are to energetically unite your strength with your mates in fulfilling God's threefold purpose for the family. You are to energetically, that means you are not to be a passive partner. Well, if you want to do that, go ahead. Go see your mother. Go ask your dad. You are to energetically unite your strength with your mates in fulfilling God's threefold purpose for the family. Now, let's look at the Scripture. Verse 18, the Lord God said, It's not good that a man should be alone. I will make a help meet for him. Now, that help meet or suitable help for him is an interesting word in the Hebrew language. It is the word azar. Actually, we get the word Ebenezer from it. We sing this song, Come Thou Found of Every Blessing. And uh, Brother James, you, you lead us, you know, and he, he uh, you know, here I raise mine Ebenezer, hither by thy help I'm come. Actually, it refers to a passage over in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, where the Philistines have attacked the Israelites and God comes to their rescue and God strengthens them and God delivers them. And so Samuel, the prophet, goes out and builds a memorial and he calls it Ebenezer. Hitherto has the Lord helped us. And so what he's saying here is this, for man... I'm going to make a suitable companion, someone to surround, someone to support, someone to strengthen this individual. Now, there are three areas. I said you're to unite your strength with your mates in fulfilling God's threefold purpose for the family. What is God's threefold purpose for the family? Look at verse 26 of chapter 1, if you will. Chapter 1, verse 26. Notice what it says here. 
God said, let us make... This is the general or the generic way of explaining the creation in chapter 1. And so God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And, of course, you get the detailed explanation of that beginning in chapter 2. And in verse 28, God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. What is God's threefold purpose for your family? Let me give them to you right quickly. First of all, it is reflecting the image of God. Your family is to show people who God is, what God does. When a couple gets married, you, often we speak of Jesus as the groom, the church as the bride. They say, I do to one another. They're welcomed in each other's families on the basis of that statement, that commitment right there. When you become a Christian, what happens is you say, I do to Jesus. He says, I do to you. God the Father says, welcome home. So your marriage is to be a picture of how God relates to people, that covenant relationship, that love. That's, that's one reason why God has some very, very strong things to say about the dissolution of marriage about separation, about divorce. He has, he, he's not down on divorcees. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But he has some things to say about divorce because it would seem to indicate that he was willing to enter into a relationship with people that after a while, if he didn't like it, he would cut it off. And that shows an incorrect picture. So your family is to be a reflection of the image of God. Secondly, in your family, you are to rule over creation which is so different. There are families here, I'm sure, and families watching on television, listening on the radio. There are families who would say, creation, this world is killing me. I am a slave to this world. I have absolutely no capacity to get victory in so many areas of my life, finances or physical areas or other, you know, habits that I have, and the world is ruling you. But in your family, you are to be an example and you are to teach your children to be an example of what it means to have dominion over the earth. Not let it run you, but by the grace of God, seize the resources God has given to this world, and you use them, you see? And so he says you're to, to have dominion over them. And then number three, you're to raise up a godly heritage. And if you don't have physical children, you ought to have spiritual children. You ought to lead people to Christ and nurture them. But to raise up a godly heritage, obviously, he says be fruitful, multiply here. So he says your children coming along if there's anything they learn from you, it ought to be about God. If there's anything that they carry away from your home, when they leave your home and start their own lives, it, the most vivid memories they ought to have are the, are the memories of the fact that your family's tied to God, your heart's tied to God, their hearts are tied to God. And so you're to raise up a godly heritage. Now let me hasten to this last statement because I think it's so important. This is your part in the partnership. You say, well, I, I wish my, my mate would be trustworthy. That's okay. You be trustworthy. You say, well, I, I wish my mate would be a strength to me. I wish he or she would unite with me in energetically fulfilling God's threefold purpose. Well, if they don't, you do. You unite your strength to hers. You unite your strength to his. That's why you're married. But here's the third one. You must appreciate and communicate the inestimable value of your mate. 
you must appreciate, listen carefully, and communicate the inestimable value of your mate. Does your mate know that you appreciate him, appreciate her, and considered, consider her or consider him to be the most prized treasure of your life. Now, I want you to look at what God did. Beginning with verse 21, we find the way in which God fashioned out of Adam his companion, caused a sleep to come over him, took a rib, fashioned Eve out of that rib, and, and then Adam said, this is bone of my bone, this is flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman because she was taken out of man. Literally in the Hebrew, isha, the word for man is ish. This is isha. We translate it woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. You say, oh, my wife, my husband is so valuable to me. And somebody says to you, well, well, Why? And you begin to say, well, my wife, well, I mean, who, these wonderful meals that she cooks and, and the house, you know, she's just poured herself into the house and it's so nice when I come home and, and uh, all these little things that need to be done, she takes care of those. And, and uh, you see where I'm going with this. Some, you say to your husband, well, my husband's so valuable. Well, how? Well, he, he has afforded this nice house or he, he has made it possible for us to have transportation or he, he does this or he does that. Now, listen, listen carefully. Your partner's value is not because your partner is useful to you. Your partner is essential to you. Not useful. I have, some, I have some dear friends down here. I'm absolutely amazed that Tom and Gator Miller have come to this service. Tom has Parkinsonism. It's very difficult for him to get down this aisle right here. I love them dearly. I'm, I'm blown away. They have, members of this church have driven over here from Tulsa this morning to be in this service. I did not know they were coming. Four or five years ago, Tom was tall, several inches taller than I, robust, virile. But let me tell you something. His value has nothing to do with usefulness. His value is in the fact that he is essential for this lady here. You see, that's what God was doing. God was saying, this is the other part of you. Don't write that person off because this person is the other part of you. Now, I want to tell you something. It's one thing to be robust of body. It's another thing to have the kind of robust strength and counsel and wisdom that this man has right now. And we have gotten into a society where we consider people as valuable to us as long as we can use them, as long as we can get something out of them. She cooks nice. She cleans nice. She looks nice and makes me feel important walking beside her, and so I will have her dress in a way so that other men will look at her and think I caught a prize. You are a fool. Write off that partner, and you have written off what is essential to you. The other part of you 
It's like going into your head and carving off half your brain, carving off half your heart, carving off half your limbs. You are not a complete person. That's what he's saying here. Have you communicated that with your mate? Or is it always just, I sure love your food, I sure love that perfume, I sure love the way you look, I sure love the way you smell, I sure love the way you make me feel good, I sure love all the things you do for me, therefore I love you. How do you communicate value? Let me just mention three things right quickly. There, there are a lot of ways, but let me just mention three things. How do you communicate value? How do you let your... What are some subtle ways in which your mate learns very quickly whether you consider her, consider him to be of great value? Three things. First of all, you communicate value by what you're focused on. And I realize that all of these are going to be poor grammar. Not anymore, by the way. A new dictionary's come out which says this is okay, but we used to, didn't, did, we, we used to not end sentences with prepositions. But uh, you communicate value, first of all, by what you're focused on. It's, it's obvious for a while. Your family learns after a while whether they, they really are important to you or your job is important to you or they are important to you or your TV is important to you. They are important to you or your sports are important to you. They are important to you or your hobby is important to you. It, it, it's, it's obvious after a while. What you look at tells what you love. What you subscribe to, what you let come into your home tells what you hold in high value. In two ways. First of all, it shows what you like. Secondly, it shows what you're willing for your family to endure so you can get what you like. Well, I'll let them sit through that. It's a crummy show. Got a little cursing in it, a little sex in it, but, but it's a really good show, and I want to watch it so it's okay for them to watch it, you see. What you have said is, I value that so much, I'm willing to drag you through this with me. Do you get the picture? What you're focused on. Secondly, who you're faithful to. who you're faithful to. I have just been, I have wept, I have writhed in the agony of this day in our nation, not because I didn't know it was coming, because I knew a long time ago that it was not coming, I mean that it was coming. But there's, there's just this spirit that it's okay to be unfaithful. No, it is not okay to be unfaithful. And this spirit that says everybody is unfaithful. Listen, no, everyone is not. And you don't have to be. And you can say to your mate, I value you all you want, but when you're unfaithful, what you're saying is, but there's something else I want out there besides you. You don't just quite, you don't cut it. And you communicate value by whether you really get involved in bringing out your mate's best and most noble qualities. Whether you really energetically pursue, say, I, I, bringing out in your mate the best qualities, the most noble qualities. Some people just delight in aggravating their mate. Some people just delight in... And, and doing things that are constantly testing or constantly leading their mate or their children into temptation. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of the Lord, for God tempts no man, neither is tempted by any man. 
So you're not doing the work of God when you're constantly acting in such a way or going to places and doing things that bring out less than the most noble, the most pure, the most holy ambitions in the heart of your mate. You do that with anything you prize. You cherish it. You take care of it. You, you tend to it. You, you watch over it. You protect it. Anything you prize is like that. You don't want it to be damaged. And it's amazing to me how many people are willing for their husband, for their wife, for their children to be damaged irreparably sometimes so they can get what they want. And somehow, someway in your heart, you've got to communicate to your mate, you are of inestimable value to me. Not because you're useful around here. You may be driving home today and be in an accident, and you're, you will become a quadriplegic. That could happen. What about your usefulness then? How about bringing home the bacon then? How much cleaning, cooking, sewing, mending are you going to do then? How much sports, how much painting, how much whatever are you going to do then? And see if your relationship is based on your usefulness rather than the fact you are essential. You're the other part of your mate. In whatever shape you, you are the other part of your mate. And your mate is the other part of you. You can't do without her. You can't do without him. Those are your parts in the partnership. Your parts in the partnership. Let's pray together. Father, I pray you'd teach us what it means to be our mate's most trustworthy companion and to energetically unite our strength with our mates to bring out, fulfill your threefold purpose for the family and to communicate how valuable our mate is to us, to appreciate that. Lord, I pray right now at this invitation time that your Holy Spirit would just attend the preaching of the Word, that you'd bring to this altar those who will say yes to you. And dear God in heaven, that our lives will be touched, our lives will be changed, and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Your heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. We're going to stand in just a few moments. The choir is going to lead us as we sing a hymn of invitation, and this is your invitation to say yes to God. I believe there are people here who need to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. You say, I have a spiritual relationship with my mate. I don't even know Christ. She's begged me to come to church. He's begged me to come to church. I don't even, I don't even know for sure if I died, I'd have everlasting life. And today... I want to receive Christ by faith as my Savior, realizing he died on the cross for me. He has risen from the grave. He's alive today. And he said if I would receive him by faith as my Savior, he'd come into my life and save me, cleanse me, forgive me. I can't go back and relive my early life, but I can begin today being everything God wants me to be by his grace and his power. And so this is your invitation. Come to this altar. There'll be counselors here. Just take the hand of one of these counselors and say, look, I want to trust in Jesus this morning. I want to trust in Jesus. God is speaking, I believe, to some of you about becoming a part of this church family. I would urge you, the moment we stand, just, you know, right now, just reach over there and take that person's hand beside you. If you're not here alone, you're here with a family member, say, look, let's go forward. The moment we stand, let's just stand up and go forward, all right? And come and join, unite with this church. Say, I want to be a part of a church like this. I, I can identify with where they're going and what they're doing, and I want to be a part of this. If you've made a decision in earlier days, such as those who were baptized, we've not introduced you. Will you come forward and be seated over here where it says seating for new members? 
You may need simply to come to this altar, either alone or together with your mate, kneeling here at this altar, saying, I want to do my part. By the grace of God, I want to do my part in the partnership. I want to do my part in the partnership. Some are already coming. This is your invitation. Let's stand together. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. Father in heaven, I pray trusting that at this altar you would find everyone, everyone this morning in this auditorium whose heart is saying yes to you. And I pray it in Jesus' wonderful and matchless name. Amen. We begin singing. Folks are already coming. You just join them right